and welcome back to the TFA Scouted Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and in this podcast, we take a look at players and coaches that we believe have very bright futures in the game. In the last episode, we looked at one of the brightest young talents in Venezuelan football, or South American football for that matter, David Martinez, who has been a key player for Monegasque this season already at the ripe age of just 17. Today, though, we will be sticking with South America for a third time running and having a look at a sensationally talented 19-year-old midfielder slash winger who has reportedly just made the jump to Europe from his native Colombia. That player is Oscar Cortez. Having already represented his country at under-20s level, scoring a handful of goals and appearing regularly for Colombian giants Millonarios, Cortez has made the jump to Ligue 1 Saint-Laurent, according to reports, who may be playing in the UEFA Champions League next season. The deal may already have been completed by the time this recording is released. In this variable scout report, we will analyse Cortez's style of play, strengths and weaknesses while also trying to predict his potential. To do so, I'll be joined by my co-host and TFA recruitment analyst, Brant Marquez, who has watched Cortez very closely over the past few months. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars if you would be so kind. It's greatly appreciated and helps to grow the podcast and to get more and more excellent guests on and to get more and more ears on the podcast too, because that's always fun. So now, without further ado, let's get into our analysis of the talented young attacker by speaking to Bryant. Bryant, welcome back to the TFA Scout podcast. How have you been? Hello, Adam. I've been really, really good and really excited about talk again <laughs> about a South American player, and it's a very, very near player. From where I live, so it's really good to yeah. to be talking about again with you and about South American players. This is our third South American player in a row. We obviously had Gaston Avila, we had uh, David Martinez, yeah. and now we have Oscar Cortez as well. But I kind of like it because a lot of people, especially that, that was a players, solid pronunciation of the three players. Yeah, but they wouldn't yeah. be as as available. Obviously. Gaston Avila is in Europe now, I suppose, but the, in terms of where he's from, he's from South America, but the footage for them wouldn't be as readily available as it would watching a team in Europe. You know, like we talked about Simone Pafundi, but you can watch, especially in England, you can watch Udinese games all the time when they're on BT Sport, for example. They have the rights to Syria. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I kind of, I like having discussions about players that, I mean, I hadn't even heard of them. So you come to me with the names and I research them and then we have a discussion about them. And I quite like that because I learn a lot about players that I've never seen before. And of course, this week we're going to be talking about, is this our first Colombian player? Yes, it is. Yeah, the first Colombian player. We're going yeah. around the, the entirety of South we America. Have, we've had Venezuela, we've had uh, a Uruguay. Uruguay? Uruguay no. with... Yeah, with, with oh, Christian yeah. Oliveira. Christian Oliveira, yeah. Yeah, that's correct, yes. We have Ecuador with Incapié. And yeah. Yeah, we have to fulfil all the countries. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to do uh, Chile and Bolivia now as well, and uh, we should be maybe one other, I can't remember. Oh, oh Paraguay, obviously, as well. And we're, we're on our yeah. way. But yeah, today we are discussing our first Colombian player, Oscar Cortez. He, when I looked him up originally, I was looking up the history of him and, and kind of positions he plays it said he's like a midfielder but then I watched him for Millenarios and, and most of his games were on the wing now I don't know if that's just recently because I've watched a lot of his recent games I don't know if that's just 
in the last few games he's playing on the wing. I know you've said he plays an attacking midfielder as well at times, but he he's very effective on the wings too. But he is quite yeah. ver- versatile. Like he, I've seen him on, I've seen him in the middle, I've seen him on the left mainly, and I've also seen him on the right. Where do you see his best position? Yeah, but he, his best position for me is on the left wing and left half space. Maybe mm-hmm. he has the tendency, obviously, to go and and support in the half space and get inverted and all that. But he's really good outside as well in the outside channel. So he receives the ball. He's right footed and he's um. You know, he he's a very different player with from from what we used to see normally because he's like a powerful player, direct player that wants to dribble, that wants to take the weak side of the defender constantly, yeah. but well, he wants to provide a quick progression for his mm-hmm. team. And when he plays on the central channels, half spaces and all that, he receives the ball and he looks quickly to make the one to link up and then attack the spaces because off his off the ball movements are very dynamic and very very creative as well mm-hmm. you know he detects spaces to go not even small uh, pockets of space to receive and to turn and all that and he he looks to attack wide and open spaces to then penetrate the box and i really found him an interesting and useful player because when you have a player that can play in the middle but support outside and then bring the half the the, the inner channels to wingers and all that it, it's really good you know because not all players have the ability to play out in the outside channel and then in the central ones and in, as a midfielder or as an attacking midfielder it, it's really good to see that versatility from a player of that age and and yeah. that conscious to to play in different channels. I do love how explosive his dribbling is. And one thing I yeah. notice as well when he dribbles is that he always kind of waits till the opposition player steps to him. So he'll he'll stall, he'll stall, he'll stall. Then they say the opposition fullback or whoever will will jump. And he times it perfectly and he'll just push it by him and he's gone. Because he knows once you make that first movement, then he can go. Because he times it perfectly, he waits for you. He he waits for you to jump, and then he pushes it ahead. And he's so quick; he'll almost always get there first. I do want to ask you. He he is right footed, and he plays on the left a lot. For a player that loves taking fullbacks on, especially fullbacks, do you think playing on the left when you have the opposite foot on that flank? Do you think that hinders you, or do you think it's actually more skillful to? be successful at dribbling on that side. So if you're on the left and you're right footed, because you're giving yourself less of the pitch really, because you can't, like if you're right footed on the right, it probably looks a bit more comfortable for you to go down that right. Whereas if you're on the left, you have to kind of, the way you position your body, you're kind of closing off the space for yourself because you're not left footed, you know, and then obviously you have to cut back inside and your right foot and cross it. So it takes a bit longer rather than if you're left footed, like an old school winger per se, if they're like uh, uh, Ryan Giggs, for example, would go down the left, yeah. beat his man, and then force time whip ball and with his left foot. So it's quicker rather than like an Ashley Young, for example, would go that side and he cut inside. Actually, Ashley Young, they're not that similar in terms of players with Oscar Cortez, but a young Ashley Young. Now I know people remember Ashley Young nowadays because he's he's developed into a fullback and things like that. But young Ashley Young, I thought there was a lot of similarities with him in the way he plays yeah, or the way he's he's he plays the, the left the and he's right he, foot. He wants to provide power and yeah. 
and and explosiveness to to go inside and then outside. But normally he wants to go outside and take on the fullback and then try to take the cross or a cutback. And but the thing is about your your question is, um, well, I I think I have said this in the podcast, but I love wingers that play on their natural side, like mm-hmm. they're right footed or left footed, and they play on the left or the right. Yeah. Okay, so they can take on the 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 fullback to the outside and all that. Like Di Maria, sometimes when he played at Real Madrid and yeah. or as he played in the in the World Cup final, that was a mm-hmm. massive performance. But when you have when you play in that position, you have to know that you have to be so creative and so explosive. Yeah. You know, because when you close your angle. Like you're, let's put an example that you're right footed, you're playing on the right wing and you close your angle, you're not too good with the weak foot. The fullback knows that if you're right footed, you want to come to the outside. So mm-hmm. he's going to position his body well to then push you away or make the tackle and it's going to be difficult. So you have to, first of all, your change of pace have to be so good. And you have to feint defenders with your intentions. Yep. You know, you if you're predictable to go from for one side, you're going to be catch up really, really, really quick. And defenders are intelligent in that. So you know, for me, it, it's not the difficulty of if you're right footed and you're playing on the right wing. It's your style of play. Mm-hmm. But players sometimes doesn't have the change of pace that others has, and it's quite difficult. And Oscar Cortez has a really good change of pace. And how he changed his rhythm and all that. Uh, when he's dribbling, he's explosive. Is I don't know for me if he's explosive. For me, he's powerful. You know, in, in the way he wants to get that first stride and wait for the opponent and then go directly to the box. Sometimes when he sees a space, you know, this kind of wingers that have the space to go to the box, but they decide to take a cross or yeah. even a fullback. Yeah, Oscar picked the ball and he's running to the box. He's running and running and running and he wants to take a shot or he wants to take a cross or and it, his crossing delivery is a, he's a very it's a very good tool because he he's a set piece well the corner kick taker mm-hmm. and that obviously gives you an example of how good he hits the ball to to make the crosses and all that and when he, he gets there it's really cool and he, it's really good how he he does it. And his passing as well for me, I I found a, a really solid, you know, mm-hmm. because he's so quick with with his ideas. He picks the ball and he wants to release, attract players, players that attract enemies, and then release the ball to then himself go to that space are really special because they turn down blocks so easily with their ideas yeah in terms of his creative ability though i want to add in about his crosses as you said he does love crossing and and one thing to note is when he crosses from the left so many of his crosses are he obviously cuts back inside on his right foot but they're roughly at the kind of the top corner of the box and i don't mean the like where the byline is i mean near the edge of the box but the corner so on that left side he cuts inside whips it in as i said you kind of like ashley young used to do Whereas on the right, his crosses come from deeper positions. So obviously he's getting closer to the byline and then whipping it. But that is only natural, I suppose, because of 
he's right footed. So when he's on the right, he has the ability to go closer to the byline and then cross it. Whereas when he's left footed, he has to come back inside. Or sorry, when he's on the left, he has to come back inside onto his right foot. And as well, I want to say about his his assists and his expected assists. He hasn't actually, to my knowledge, and I'm looking at his uh, assists map here. He hasn't assisted a set piece yet, despite ta- being the set piece taker. That's not really. I mean, that's not necessarily his fault. Now it could be a case of poor delivery, but it also could be a case of poor finish or uh, you know poor attacking of the box from the from his teammates. But as well, he has five expected assists this season. Sorry, which includes the 2022 season too. Five expected assists. And he has three real time assists. So, and when I'm looking at his assists here, they are a, a lot of them are inside the box, which to me looks like poor finishing as opposed to actually his fault. So, I'd imagine yeah. with in a better side, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to Millenarios, of course, they're a really good side in Colombia, but I'd imagine at a, a, a better side with better players, he would see his assists tally be a lot higher than it is now. Because I said he's underperforming by about two at the minute. Yeah, totally. I I agree with that. And even it, it's common knowledge to the people of South America that Colombia is a league that strikers really didn't don't finish well, so they have this this issue to to literally score the goals and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, mainly this kind of playmakers uh, have this problems to they create so many chances and strikers only score one or don't score so it's really difficult so for Oscar he's 19 years old right now and for me he has a very useful profile in possession the thing is in possession that obviously for me the way he evades the press is really good the mm-hmm. way he takes on players is really good. But at times, um, in possession, he can be so, but really, really, really so direct. So he doesn't even come close to the base of the play. He stays every time on the middle tier or in the final third. So he doesn't... Well, actually, kind of- to, sorry to interrupt, but to jump on that, yeah. in, in just to back up your point, when you look at his heat map, so much action happens at the corners of the pitch in the final third, which is yeah crazy to see because it means that he's so high up the pitch. And and obviously, Millenarios will probably have more of the ball than their than their opponents most games. But it just and obviously the team will be defending in the low block, so he'll be able to position himself higher. But to see so much action, literally at the corners of the the the, the pitch, so like just at the edge of the, or the sides of the box is crazy because it shows that he spends so much time there. Just to back up your point about him not really getting involved that much lower down the pitch, he's really high up and wide most of the time. Yeah, totally. And, you know, when you play with a playmaker in your team, is it an inverted winger, a wide winger, or a player in the on the central channels? Do you want him to you know, try to support and bring a bit, of, a little bit of oxygen to to his teammates with passing lanes and all that. When he receives in the middle chair, it's so much progression and so much dynamic game. But at times you have to be supporting your teammates. And if we go to another 
phase of the game, his defensive job and his defensive work rate is very, very poor. I don't know if you agree with me in yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very poor because he, you know, he does the movement and to try to press and all that, but he, he, he seems so slow to me. He's going to the duel and he it's like he doesn't want to be in the duel. Yeah. You know, he, he, he runs for a little bit of commitment and then he just, uh, just it's like he's torn off and he just doesn't run. And the only thing I have watched him, uh, in a not solid way, but you know, positive, it's when he loses the ball, he tries to get into, but he he, he doesn't print that much intensity. Mm-hmm. You know, and just to yeah. jump on that point, there were a few occasions when I watched it defensively where because he is quick. So he can jump yeah. on defenders quickly, whether it be through counter-pressing or just in a high press. There were a few occasions where he was able to catch the defender out. And actually on one occasion, I'm not sure if the, if Milanario scored or he scored, but it led to a good opportunity. The left centre-back of the team, I don't remember the team it was. Was it was it juniors? It might have been. But anyway. Uh, yeah, it was junior, yeah. I remember yeah, that game. Yeah, so there was that game where the defender made, I think it was a pretty heavy touch, and he jumped on him straight away and he won the ball. Now, it kind of looked like a foul, but the referee played on anyway. And it, it led to a really good opportunity for Milanarios. As I said, I can't remember if they, they scored or, but I know when attack came from it anyway in the final third. But it, it is a little frustrating when you see how, not lazy he is, but how sometimes unwilling he is to go into oh, those he, defensive duels where where you see sometimes, he, well, he we see he has the ability to do it. You know, it's crazy to think... Um... That players, because you normally see players that are so intense and doesn't have the tactical awareness yeah. to detect triggers to pull and all that and how the movement has to be. And Oscar, for his part, is really solid in that way. You know, he detects uh, when to pull the trigger in, in, in that situations where players make heavy touches to the ball or may turnovers and how the movement has to be made, but it doesn't print intensity in his duels. And it's really crazy to think he's going to, he, he's flying to Europe soon. And he has that maybe it could be the context of the, that he is one of the best players in the team and all that. Just set us free. Yeah. The what for player has yeah. this, had the same issue in, in Envigado, it was a really poor context and he even was making poor decisions on the ball because he he was the best player in the squad and that squad was really poor. Millonarios is not that poor, he's one of the best teams at Colombia. Mm-hmm. He, they have really good players. And, but at times, it just feels like in South American teams, when a young player is developing and he's having a good level, it's like they put so much confidence on him that he thinks he can't do this because he's the best player on the squad. And at times it, it feels like that, that he doesn't want to get into a duel because he can bring other things. But Millonarios normally doesn't press that high, but that they have they are aggressive on a mid-block. And I don't see, I don't know, the same aggressivity on him that the former winger 
I think his name was Victor Gomez or Catania on the midfield provide to the team, you know, and even the striker. I think it's interesting when you see the kind of not. I mean, it's obviously great that a young player has the confidence in their own ability, but the contrast maybe in European football, especially at the highest level, is crazy because by the time this podcast is being recorded, this episode hasn't actually been released yet that I did with Luke Chadwick, who of course won the Premier League with Manchester United. He played under Stradix Ferguson and he was captained by Roy Keane, but he told a story on the podcast about how in his first training session he wasn't he wasn't really up to scratch with the way Manchester United were playing in training and, and the intensity they were bringing. And he said Roy Keane absolutely leathered him verbally for the entire session to the point where he like was not upset, but it was I'd imagine that's a lot. You're a young player coming up and Roy Keane is screaming in his in his cork accent all sorts of abuse at you. But he was saying that like it was Roy Keane's way of saying like if we want to win trophies and be the best club in the world, we can't have people slacking and, and people taking too long on the ball. And sometimes, as you said, I do get the impression that Oscar Cortez hasn't, not that he hasn't had that kind of environment, it just may be a difference of culture where players yeah. are freer to express themselves. Whereas like, I can only speak on, I mean, you'd be more clued up in, in, in South American coaching than I would. I can only speak on behalf of what I've seen in, European clubs, and especially in Ireland, the way they coach young players, there's a lot of emphasis from a very young age on one-touch, two-touch football. Dribbling is is almost discouraged, which isn't necessarily a great thing. And there's a massive emphasis on working hard, even out of possession from such a young age as well. And you can kind of, again, maybe it's a different in culture. I don't know what, you, what, what maybe you make of that. You might have a different opinion. No, I agree. I totally agree. You know, the... the... We have a culture here at South America that, that the one player that dribbles is, a, is, a, is a, the dribbles and takes on players and all that is the best of the team. Yeah, you know because he's inventive, he's creative, and, and that is our culture. Um, I, I'm on a bit of bit. I'm on a bit of the two sides, you know, um, of the European. I'm on a fifty-fifty right now, and I, I think. I've been like that for several years that mm-hmm. I really love dribbling players but I also love players that are tactical intelligent and and they play on one two touches and all that and you know you are always going to find South American players that retain the ball so much others that playing one two and then it, it, it's difficult because it's a cultural thing and how how you can change that um, you have to change the culture of all the countries here, you know, all, all, several players, and they want to do that and to retain the ball. Um, and well, what's likely to happen is obviously he has to just adapt. So I think yeah, I said it. I said in the introduction. Adapt. I said in the introduction that it's reported that he's going to Lon in Liga. I'm not sure if it's confirmed yet. So I said reported just in case, but it looks likely anyway that he's going to be going across to to, to Lon in Liga. And they are, are, of course, I believe second or third now, which means they're likely they will likely get Champions League football. So there's going to be a lot of ab- adaptation needed for Oscar Cortez. What do you yeah. mean? I mean, how do you think he'll fit into to the French league when if it might be confirmed by the time this podcast comes out? I'm not sure. Yeah, if, much, if yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, I think his name is Pipo Sierra. He's a journalist from Colombia. He's very reliable. He was the one that told the Luis Diaz signing at first for Liverpool. So I think it's obviously not official and not confirmed, but it's on 
his way. And it's crazy because Lens is a team that plays with two very inverted wingers and direct midfielders, you know? So he, the thing is to provide so many attacking threads as, as the inverted wingers in in Lens carry is going to be difficult for him and he has to obviously adapt. And Lens is a team that tactically are so committed. The 11 players are so committed to do the things right as the coach says, you know, and defensively and offensively, but mainly defensively, they have a very solid system. And, you know, he could fit in there because he's so good. He's he's dribbling and he's uh, quick passing and how direct he is and his crossing ability. He can support so much his team to to provide attacking tread and progression and all that, but he knows he has to adapt. And to adapt to a team like that, you need several months. And it's not only several months in the team, it's several months having short minutes, you know, on the pitch. You're not going to play that much and all that. And you have to be mentally strong to, to live with that and just try to show every training and every match the little time they give you you have to show you're adapting and obviously it's a difficult thing to do but players does that and he has to do it yeah well the last thing i want to discuss on the podcast is and this is actually something i only found out before the podcast started because you told me off air he was originally blocked by millenarios i believe from going to the uh under 20s world cup with his under 20s yeah under 20s world cup with colombia yeah yeah, the Under-20s yeah, World Cup with Colombia. He's been allowed since, I believe, as of the information, of course, I received from Brian. But he's not the only young player, and South American player for that matter, that has been blocked by their clubs. And I want to get your take on whether you believe this is a good thing or a bad thing. Alejandro Ganacho, of course, is the most famous case at the moment. Eric Ten Hag publicly announced in his press conference a week ago, I believe, that Garnacho was not allowed to go to the World Cup with Argentina. Javier Mascarano, of course, uh, former Barcelona and, and Liverpool player, is the manager there. I think he was the manager, then he resigned and then took up the reins again. Yeah. yeah. But he caught, he wanted to call Garnacho up. And, of course, the, Eric Ten Hag was asked in his press conference, would he, would he allow Garnacho to go? Ten Hag said no. The reason being, of course, is that Manchester United are playing a cup final against Manchester City in the FA Cup and it clashes with when Garnacho will be going. So Garnacho was a four-stint player for Man United. Ten Hag obviously wants him as part of the squad, if not the starting eleven for the cup final. They'll need all the help they can get at the moment because they're quite, they're, they are limping. What do you make of, and uh, you actually gave me a couple of other examples before the podcast started, and Oscar Cortez was just one of them. What do you make of clubs blocking young players, especially from going to the, you know, the under-20s per se, tournaments like with the under-20s World Cup that's coming up? You know, with Garnacho, I can understand mm-hmm. a bit of the idea of blocking him to, to go to the World Cup. It's, it's Garnacho is a different context at this moment because he's so important to a top team in Europe that is Manchester United. They are having a big time, uh, a, a tough time, sorry, with big um, injuries and all that and you know, you, you want to have your squad at full length 
with all those injuries and this bad form they are. And in a way, I can understand it, but at, at the same time, he wants to play in a World Cup with mm-hmm. his national team and all that, and he's had marvelous experience, not only because it's the World Cup, but because you are playing with players of your own age and you have want to keep developing. And these are processes that players need, that, that young players need in some countries, um, even Venezuela is a great example of that because they put a rule that young every team has to put a young player in the 11, in the starting lineup. And that mm-hmm. is crazy to think they delete that rule the last season and it's, it, it is one of the best the things they have do did, sorry, because um, when you are young, you have to, to get into process and you have, have to play in the under 90s or 70s or 20s and every day and you have to play with people of your own age to then play with people of that are older and all that. And other examples like Buonanotte that is starting to get minutes at Brighton, yes, but it's obviously not that key. Um, we have Nico Pass and Alvaro Rodriguez at Real Madrid that they don't have minutes. So why do you block them that process and that experience to play in a World Cup? And it's crazy because they think only as a club, like, he is key for us and I don't want him to go or to get injured. And then it's crazy because Oscar Cortez was asked the first time they blocked him to go and now they have given permission like two days ago, something like that. And or a week ago, I really don't remember how, how this was, but I, I, I know that he was blocked and then given he was given permission. And the press asked him what he'd think about that. And he made himself clear of how important for a player is to play a World Cup and even more as a young player, you know? And it's really key to hear the players and to hear the young players that are year by year, day by day, so important. And they are getting bigger in terms of importance to teams in the world of football and mainly in Europe. So you have to hear them and... Cortez has said that it's really, really important for him to go. And well, you, you can see it. Buonanotte was blocked and he insisted so much to the Serbi. He told him yes, and then he told him no. So yeah. players want to play with their national team and want to play this kind of tournaments, you know, and it, it, it gives you different things to your style of play because. You are one thing being coached by the Serbi and the other day you are going to be coached by Mascherano and all those kind of things mm-hmm. give you good things to you, to your playing style and to your to your life. And the, the, uh, the, uh, those are experience that you have to sum up. And well, well to, to jump on that point and to keep in line with South American talents, it's probably the best example of a... Of, Obviously, I'm not comparing Oscar Cortez to this player. I'm just saying in terms of the situation, a young player who was highly rated that was allowed go to the Under-20s World Cup in 2005 was Lionel Messi, and they won gold in the Netherlands under... I think it was under Marcelo Bielsa was the manager at the time. Uh, in, in, yeah. I, I think. I could be wrong on that, but I'm, I know Bielsa but managed the, the, the team the, around that time. But yeah. the Under-20s, you said... On the 20s World Cup, I believe it was. Yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, it was managed by Peckerman. 
Oh, interesting. But he also saw, he, he was the under-23s manager a year before that, then he must have resigned after that. I knew it was around that time he was the under-23s boss too. I think it was maybe at the, oh, it was at the Olympics, sorry, that's where I'm getting confused. Yeah, exactly. But even but even still, as I said to you, under twenty World Cup, Lionel Messi won gold. Or, sorry, not one gold. Won the tournament. Oh, sorry, it, it wasn't Beckerman. You are right. It was Bielsa. Yeah, oh, really? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and they won the under twenties World Cup. Argentina. Lionel Messi was allowed go by Barcelona at the time, and they won the under twenties World Cup. And he's probably the most famous example of a player who was allowed go to, with his country to those tournaments. And and okay, in terms of clubs like Manchester United and maybe Brighton, who are looking at the league and other competitions, they see that. They're, they're the ones paying the player, which is, of course, correct. But for a player, as you mentioned, it's it's an honour. Regardless of, uh, as Austria Cortez says, it's incredibly important for him to play for his country, regardless of whether it's the Men's World Cup or whether it's an under-20s, under-17s, it doesn't matter. It should be an honour to play for your country. And I think there's, obviously, there is an element, as I said to you, where the club pay the wages of the player. So it 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 is in their hands, I suppose, in that sense, especially at youth level, where... If they're an important player, they, they, you know, Ten Hag respectfully doesn't care about Argentina's chances at the Under Twenties World Cup. He doesn't. He'll care yeah. about Manchester United and what's best for the club. And obviously, they have a cup final. Same with the Serbia Brighton. But I do think, just in terms of a player's perspective, it is really important for them. And as I said, it's an honour almost for them to play for the country. And I think that's probably a good place to to wrap the podcast. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. And to all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Make sure to tune in on Friday for another regular episode of the TFA podcast. Also, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and family, as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye for now.